trying to navigate some tables here. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. I'm going to set this big bowl down. We'll come to this in just a minute. Um, man, it's been a while since I've done a big old physical illustration, but it's going to happen today. I'll need my, my beautiful assistant, uh, but we'll do it. Um, man, we wanted to say happy. Man, I didn't know you guys would be back. And I just saw the colors and with a great mustache on Neil. Wow, that is state trooper worthy right there. That is awesome. I know that Lindsay is thrilled to be sitting beside you this morning. Um, so yeah, we are uh, super grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be here. Um, I'll admit that like growing up, Advent was not something that I did. Like grew up in the BOBC, nothing wrong with that. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that's the big old Baptist church, and that's okay. Uh, if you're a partner with me in that, that's fine. There's a lot of heritage and a lot of tradition that, that God instilled with me in that. Um, but Advent, if it's new to you, Advent uh, comes from the Latin word of Adventus, which just means the arrival. And so for us, we're, we're kind of sitting on the other end of it, uh, the other side of it. And so for us, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine like preparation for the arrival of Christ because he's already come. He's already been born. We know the stories. We've heard them all. We've recited them. We've seen them in flannel if we grew up in church. We've seen every expression of those. We've read the storybooks. We've seen Charlie Brown. We've done it all. Like it's, it's hard for us to prepare for something, to prepare to celebrate for something that's already happened. But the beauty of Advent for us is that it's this way of preparing our hearts to celebrate well. And so it was, it is about the anticipation. And so part of us is to transport us back to a people who were waiting, a creation that was groaning for a Savior that was yet to come. Um, And so, yes, we do want to think the way that they thought, try to feel the way that they felt, to empathize with them on some degree. But for us, as believers, as followers of those who are now yoked with Jesus, man, this season, it conditions us to celebrate the greatness of Jesus the best that we possibly can. Because understand, what we're celebrating, we're not celebrating just a baby wrapped in swaddling claws that was born and it was beautiful. No, we're celebrating the birth of a Savior without whom we could not have hope. We could not have peace. We could not have joy. We could not really have faith. And so over these next several weeks, this is a conditioning of our heart to prepare us to like celebrate the best that we possibly can. Because in some respects, like the, the, the protagonist in me, and like I understand that these days are no different than the preceding 26. Like from here on, like we've got about 26 days, like we celebrate leading up to that. Like they're, they're no different than the days that came beforehand. As far as a calendar is concerned, they're still square, you know, on a calendar. You know, they're probably three by three, depending on the calendar that you have. They're no different. But for us, we set it aside because Jesus is different, because Jesus is special, because of what he brought and what he gave, we cannot replicate. We cannot possibly fathom the depth of the goodness that came attached to that little baby, that came attached to that little teenager who had wisdom that he should not have, that came attached to that man who spoke with authority that was yet unseen, who came with the power of God living in him because he was God with skin on, because he was God with us. He was all of those things. And so over these next several calendar days and weeks, man, here's our prayer. God, prepare us to celebrate incredibly well, to remember well, to build anticipation for the ability to say, thank you, Jesus, for coming putting on skin 
living the life I could not, dying the death that I deserved, and conquering death because I'm unable. Thank you, Jesus. Um, to help us uh, as a church family, uh, we have a gift for you if you're here today. Uh, on the back table, this is a, um, an Advent devotional that Paul David Tripp put together, and, and we like PDT, and uh, he does a great job. That's his, you know, his, his fancy acronym. Uh, but we're asking one per family. So if you're here and you're a family unit, take one of those. If we run out, we will order more. Amazon is super quick. Um, but grab one of those. Start using that today with your family. Just go over that devotional with your family. Even if your kids, they don't understand multisyllabic words yet, that's, so fine. that's fine. It helps them with their vocabulary and, and it also exposes them to Jesus. So grab one of those on your way out. Uh, today... Um, if you're not used to Advent, we kind of tackle one word each week, and today the word is hope. Thank you, Water, for making that match with our worship today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then, and then we're going to hop right in. Thank you guys for being here today. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much for your word that dwelt among us um, and put on skin and bore the name of Jesus. Uh, God, thank you that today, because of him, we can have hope. Uh, more than wishful thinking, more than... Um, good thoughts and good vibes. God, we can have hope. Today, as we look at your word, Father, and as we think about uh, the things that we get to hope in, Father, I pray that you stir in us the ability to celebrate well. Uh, you build in us anticipation to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, and God, you grow in us a yearning to speak of this hope, to share this hope, to convey this hope to a world that needs it so badly. God, I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we worship, it's in his name that we learn, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start with uh, some passages in Isaiah. And, you know, historically this first day of Advent that we celebrate, it is a day of hope, but it's also a day of prophecy. And there's no way to cover all of the prophecy concerning Jesus uh, in the Old Testament because it starts in Genesis. Um, but today we're going to look at a couple passages, and, and here's a couple things that we want to do. Um, just answer this question, like when we talk about hope, like what is it exactly that we're placing our hope in? And I know for us, like even defining this idea of hope for us, it's, it's kind of strange because I think a lot of us, and we'll get to this kind of towards the end, like there are several things that we've placed our hope in and they've let us down. You know, maybe we've had ideas of what hope is and what it's not. Maybe we've had incomplete ideas of what hope is. But biblical hope compared to worldly hope is this. Biblical hope is secured assurance. Secured assurance. It's like the FDIC stamp that goes here. My kids, uh, I can't remember, I was, helping, I was helping Caleb study for a test this past week, and they were, they were going over um, the Great Depression and some of the things that brought the Great Depression in, and some things that were put in place uh, by the president at the time to, to make sure that the Depression did not happen again. And so many people lost their money during the Great Depression because they put it in banks thinking that it would be secure. But what happened during the Great Depression and the economic collapse, those banks did not have insurance and their money was gone. So when we're thinking about hope, hope is like that FDIC stamp that we see on big banks that's saying no matter what happens, no matter what happens, no matter if the, the market collapses or if the world collapses, your money is secure. 
Today, understand that hope, when we talk about hope from a biblical perspective and when we talk about hope in relation to Christ and what we're preparing to celebrate, like understand that hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope is more than good intent. Hope is more than just like, ooh, I just, mm, I, I just hope it's going to happen. No, it's more. It is this secured assurance that is not dependent upon my will. It's not dependent upon my wishes, but it's dependent entirely upon the eternal promises of Jesus that no one can interfere with, way better than FDIC. So maybe that metaphor falls short, but man, it's just secured assurance. The first place we'll look will be Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. I love the book of Isaiah because we can, we can track it from a historical perspective that this is around 740 to 750 years before Christ was ever born. And if we continue to read through Isaiah, a lot will be very confusing. But based on what we know about Jesus, some of it just is so incredibly clear what it's pointing to in the way that he came, the way that he lived, the way that he died. But in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, it says, For to us or unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government or his rule shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and rule uh, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we're preparing our hearts to celebrate and as we are building our hope up into Jesus and only Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, there's a couple things that we need to see and we need to hope in, in waiting for Jesus. The first, and this was taken so far out of context of the Jews at the time, but it says, um, for unto us a child is born, to us a son of given, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The first that we need to understand is our hope is placed in a Jesus who will rule, a Jesus who will rule. Now, to Jews at the time, they read this and they heard this from the time that they were diaper-clad, and they believed that Jesus would be a political authority. They believed that he would be like a supreme governor or, or better than the high priest that they had seen instilled uh, by the Hasidim. They believed that he would be like a political authority that would hold a scepter and would make everyone bow before him in the name of their people. But this passage in Isaiah, if we read it in the proper context, it's not talking about governmental authority or prime ministers or presidents, but it's talking about holy rule, a, a God who can control and run everything by his loving and merciful nature. The first thing that we get to hope in in reading this piece of prophecy is that Jesus will rule. And not only will he rule, but that word forevermore, do you know what it means in Hebrew? It means forevermore. That's what it means. It just means eternally. Jesus will come. Jesus will establish his kingdom, and he will rule. He will rule above all other powers, above all other principalities, above all other authorities. Jesus will have control. And I know from where we sit, from where we stand, like that, that seems odd to us. It seems like it can't possibly be true. Because we see so many people vying for power, but we have to understand that God's working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even though we may not see it, we may not feel it in this moment, we can still hope in it. We can still have secured assurance that this is Jesus' show. He's running it. He's orchestrating it. He is doing it for, his, for our good and his glory. We can be assured that he will rule. I love in this passage that that Isaiah even says, 
and his name shall be called, or his names shall be, the first will be Wonderful Counselor. Like, Wonderful Counselor. Like, think about that in in contrast to the word that we just heard, that he will rule, that he will have control, that he will be the one driving the ship. Like, how many authorities do we see in this day and age that rule, that have power, that have authority, but also have the name of Wonderful Counselor? The one who can direct you, the one who can give you guidance, the one who can tell you the way that you should go. Man, the greatest presidents that we've ever had couldn't have been that. Like the greatest presidents that we've ever had, I wouldn't go to a single one of them and ask them how to love my wife. Like I wouldn't. We have reasons to not go to them and ask them how to love their wife. Anyway, we won't get into that. The greatest presidents that we've had, I I probably wouldn't go to a single one and say, hey, how should I steward the resources that God has given me? Counsel me on that. Not a single one would I ask. Not a single one would I go to and say, hey, Mr. President, um, have you you heard of the Shema? You've heard of the Shema, right? And they might shake their head this or that. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul? I wouldn't go to them and ask them that. But this authority, this Jesus, he's called Wonderful Counselor, like the best to guide, the best to direct. We can have hope in that. Second name given by Isaiah was Mighty God. Mighty God, like all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving, all-justice. Everything that mighty represents and encompasses God, that will be his name. We can hope in that. Everlasting Father. We've never seen that. The best dads have an end to their wisdom, to their guidance, to their earthly life, but not this one. Everlasting, eternal, no beginning, no end, always dad. Never seen that. Would be his name, Prince of peace. I don't think we ever really give that enough credence. I don't, like we're going to talk about peace, like Andrew's going to cover peace for us next week, but man, to think about someone whose kingdom, that's what they rule over, is a kingdom of peace. That doesn't mimic our history. No kingdom has ever been modeled by peace. No kingdom has ever been known by peace because every kingdom ever taken in this world has been taken by force. But this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this wonderful counselor shall be a prince and what he will rule with will be peace. Not force, not dictatorship, but peace. We can hope in those. And just like we said just a minute ago, it says, of the increase of his government or his rule and of peace, there will be no end. We're not hoping in the temporary. We're not hoping in something that will run out. We're not hoping in something with an expiration date. We're hoping in the eternal promise, the eternal peace, the eternal might, the eternal wonderfulness, if we can, of something we've never seen something the world had never seen but had been aching for for thousands of years. That's where we're placing our secured trust, our secured assurance. If we flip forward to Isaiah chapter 42, 
Isaiah continues with more of what we can hope in. Isaiah chapter 42, 1 through 4, and some of this will be a bit repetitive, but there's a phrase in the very last line of this that we need to pay attention to. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. That last line may not ring true to us, but just give me a second. And so it starts with just this idea of uh, this one to come. Uh, God is blessed beyond anyone else. That God is blessed beyond anyone else. It says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully or peaceably bring forth justice. It says, this one whom I've chosen, this one whom I've put my spirit upon, he's going to bring justice, but he's going to bring it differently than anyone else has. Again, like we talked about a minute ago, the Prince of Peace idea, he's going to bring forth this justice, but he's not going to bring it forth with strength of rule or dictatorship or power or military might. No, he's going to bring it with meekness, with humility, with gentleness. And it says he's going to bring it to all the nations. But then that last line of verse 4, and it says, And the coastlands wait for his law, or the islands wait for his law, or the outliers wait for his law. This was a book written to very Hebrew people, Israelites, Jewish people, knowing that he was coming from the Jews for the Jews. But that last line, do you know what it says? Let me put it in just super plain English. He's also bringing all of this to the rest of us. To the rest of us the coastlands, the outliers, the islands. He's talking about those of us who were not born Jewish, those of us who were not Hebrews, those of us who were the rest of the world. And understand at this time, even at Isaiah, like compared to the rest of the world, the Hebrew nation was tiny. They were a small group of select people that God had made for himself. But from those people, God would bring salvation for the rest of us. Like I know it gets confusing looking at God's chosen people than Jews and Gentiles when we go in the New Testament, but, but understand the same words that echoed then, that there is no longer no Jew nor Greek or Gentile. Man, it applies even here. Jesus is for all. Jesus is for all. All who would just believe. We get to hope in that. Get to hope in that. Forward to Luke chapter 1. We're actually getting to the Christmas story now, or part of it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I feel like I should be sitting in a rocking chair with a good fire behind me reading this and, you know, crackling noises, but we couldn't orchestrate that this morning. This chair doesn't rock, but it rolls. Anyway, sorry. But um, And I just made that up. We're going to bury that one. For those of you who are not watching, I'm in a wheelchair right now, but that's okay. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Sounds familiar. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin, or I have not known a man And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37. I love this line. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. At this point, the impossible was a woman who had never known a man to have a son. That was the impossible. Not just implausible, but impossible, genetically, physically, all of those things, completely and utterly impossible. In the context of that one little line, for nothing will be impossible with God, it just said, Mary, you may not understand it, you may not be able to figure it out, but with God, it will happen. And Mary's response was so amazing in this moment. Understand a 16-year-old, maybe a 14-year-old girl, Standing here, being spoken to by Gabriel, the angel, blindingly bright, and said, you found favor with God. God looks upon you and he smiles. Right there. That's pretty impossible. But it keeps getting better. He says, you will conceive a son. He'll be God's son. He'll be called Jesus. And on him, the whole world will lean. And it will never end. You will bear him, never know a man, impossible, but it'll happen. The context of that in and of itself is incredibly, hugely God-sized miraculous. But here's the context in us. It's still completely and utterly true. The impossible for us We were strangers and aliens to God whose lives are ruled by our own sin and there's no way that we should know or be known by God. No chance. Impossible. For the holiness of God cannot bear witness to, cannot be close to relationship, cannot have union with sin. Impossible. We cannot be made right with God because we're not good enough. Even in our best days, our best efforts, there's nothing that we can do that can measure up to the holy, holy, holy nature, also according to Isaiah, of God. On our best days, we can't possibly reach Him. Impossible. But with God, we can hope that He can make it all okay. The impossible can be made possible. We can be known and know God. 
through Jesus. Our sins can be cleansed not by my efforts, but by His, impossible. We can no longer be strangers and aliens, but we can be sons and daughters, owned with an inheritance, begotten by God Himself through Jesus, impossible. But through God, all of the impossibles were being wiped away and made possible. For nothing will be possible with God. We can open that. No other power, no other authority, no other system, no other doctrine, no other anything grants us that hope. Not a single thing. Not a single thing on its best day, on the best page of its own book, can grant us that. Only God can wipe away the impossible and make it completely livable. We get to hope in that. We get to have secured assurance in that. Here's our struggle with hope. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Actually, we're going to I have a phone somewhere. I don't know where it is. That's all right. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read this in a different translation. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I love that phrase. Undeserved privilege. Where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Leave that up for me. And in Romans, Paul is addressing a group of people who had been inundated with Greek ideas and Greek notions, and they had more than likely had their idea and their perception of hope infiltrated as well. They had had hope, they had experienced hope that had greatly disappointed them, that had put them to shame, that had damaged their understanding of faith, that had damaged their understanding of character. But he's reminding them that hope in Jesus is not like any of those hopes that they've experienced before. That hope in Jesus is different. See, for us, I'm going to ask my assistant to come and help me. For us, just like the Romans, the reason our perception of hope has been so drastically damaged, if you'll hold that over that bucket, or you can put it up here and I'll move this stuff that can be damaged by water. Not you, water. Different water. Yeah, I'll pour, you hold. Is because through the years, we've experienced many counterfeit hopes. Many places that couldn't do what only Jesus could do. And so maybe, hold that up a little bit higher. Yeah, just for dramatic effect. So maybe this water, which is our hope, we've 
we've poured it into our jobs, thinking that it would bring us security, that secured assurance. But the problem is it, it didn't. There's nothing secure about that. Maybe, maybe it's relationships. Maybe we just thought if we met that perfect person that loved us the way that we wanted to be loved and we could love them the way that Hallmark tells us that we should love, we thought maybe it could hold it. Maybe it would bring me that secured assurance that I wanted so desperately. Maybe it was a family. Maybe it was a family. Maybe we just thought, man, if I get married, if, if I have those kids that call me mommy or call me daddy, then I'll have the things that I want. I'll have that peace that just rests deep inside of me, that brings everything that I've ever wanted. Man, maybe it's, maybe it's likes. We just want more likes, more followers. But it just doesn't stay. The problem is, none of those things were designed to hold our hope. None of them were ever engineered or given to us to hold our hope. None of those were ever given to us to be like sacred, blessed, secured assurance. That wasn't their role. They're all possibly good. But at the end of the day, if that's where we're investing our hope, we're going to be empty. And not full of hope, but we're just going to be hopeless. Because they, they couldn't do it. But on the other hand, if we look to Jesus, who says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, or this hope will not lead to shame, this hope will not lead to emptiness, we pour and pour and pour, and he holds it. There's no holes there. There's no sieving action. There's no sifting. He just holds it. There's no disappointment. There's no shame. There's no relegating our hope to something that it's not. It's entirely secure. Because the truth of the matter is that only Jesus, one second, only Jesus was designed to hold our hope. I know she's getting tired and I'm testing her. But here's the crazy thing about Jesus. He does want our hope. But he also wants all those other things that we've ever placed our hope in. And he wants to hold those too. He wants to hold our family secure. He wants to hold our jobs secure. He wants to hold our relationships secure. And he wants to do great things with them. Thank you, assistant. That's right. The reason that we've had disappointments with hope and unmet expectations is because we've been pouring into the wrong vessel, the wrong place. Romans were doing it too. And that's the reason Paul made sure that he understood, that they understood that this hope will not lead to disappointment, this hope that we place in Jesus that's demonstrated, revealed by our faith. This hope will not lead to shame, but this hope lasts because Jesus lasts. 
Man, as we prepare to celebrate, we have to have a full grasp on the bigness, the hugeness, the magnificence, the glory of who Jesus is. That he's unlike any other vessel. That he's unlike any other thing that can hold our hope. Because he's the only one that can hold it forever and well. Because he's the only one designed to do it. All others are just imitations destined to leave us empty. So what do we do with it? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, I think we ask the question, is my hope in Jesus and Jesus alone? Is my hope, is my secured assurance of all things, not just parts, not just pieces, not just slices, but is my secured assurance, is it resting in Jesus? Or am I hoping in other things? Not that any of those other things are necessarily bad. Jobs aren't bad. Family's not bad. Relationships, they're not bad. But if we're expecting them to do something that only Jesus can do, then they are. And they're going to leave us disappointed. So the first question is, is my hope, is it really resting in just Jesus? And this is not to make us doubt our salvation. That's not my goal. Now, if the Spirit is telling you that maybe you've never truly given yourself to Jesus, never truly trusted in Him and Him alone, then I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to sit across the table and just talk to you more about that. But in the, the hope of preparation for the coming of Christ, like, is my hope in just Him? We'll never celebrate him well unless it is. That's the first question. The second question, and this is the kicker. This is the one that kind of takes us like the switch that we talked about a few weeks ago. Am I actually sharing this hope? Am I conveying this hope? Am I letting other people know, not in a way to make them feel guilt and shame, but am I telling them that my hope and your hope it can rest in something better. It can be in something bigger. It can be in something that can actually hold the hope that we have. That we can actually have secured assurance instead of wishful thinking. Am I conveying that? Because if I am trusting in that hope, if I am believing in that hope, if I am yoked to that hope, then it should come out of my mouth. And it should go into someone's ears. And the Spirit should have a chance to use it to claim someone as his own. Am I sharing this hope? Am I speaking of this hope? Am I conveying of this hope? Because here's the deal with Christmas. Like, I love, I love Christmas. I just do. I love it. Like, I'm terrible at decorating. I'm not motivated to decorate the house, I'll be honest, even when I'm upright on two feet. Like, it's hard for me to decorate. But I love Christmas for the season that it is, the joy that's there. But I also love it for the unrivaled opportunity to actually freely go about and speak about Jesus. Because whether you know it or not, if people have their dials set to 98.9 or the serious radio station that plays Christmas music, they're going to hear the gospel at least 27 times a day. They're going to hear joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. They're going to hear that. We have great opportunity to fill in the blanks. Amazing opportunity just to fill in the blanks. There is a time and a season represented right here that even in a world in which they call post-Christian, which we're not yet, there's great opportunity to speak of Jesus. When someone comes over to your house, we get to talk about hope over eggnog. 
maybe, if it doesn't make you gag like it does me. <laughs> Over the smell of potpourri and candles that make your house smell like bed, bath, and beyond, we get to talk about Jesus. As we're giving gifts and tearing open wrapping paper or selling experiences, I don't know what you do. Either way, we get a chance to talk about Jesus, convey the hope that is in us. Are we talking about hope? Yeah. Man, secured assurance. That's beautiful. I'll take that. I'll take that. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the hope that rests in him and him alone. God, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate well this season, God, I pray that you would just instill in us, maybe just remind us of what we're placing our hope in, who we're placing our hope in. And it does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. It does not run dry. It does not go away. It's secured, not by us, but by you. Thank you for that assurance. God, I pray that during this season we could celebrate you well, but I pray that we could speak of you highly and that you would use it to draw men and women to yourself. Thank you for a time of year that you make it easy to share your name, to share your love, to give it away. I pray we would do it well. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.